Welcome to this episode of Blitzcast, where we get you pumped up for those Friday Night Lights with some motivation from some of the most inspirational figures in football. Just a reminder, you can find videos of all our Blitzcast content at huddle.com slash blitz. We cover everything from motivation to X's and O's to how to make game-changing results. Again, that's huddle.com slash blitz. We're also offering so much more for football coaches this fall. From Edge Varsity's peerless analytics to a special deal on GoRoute wearable technology, we're looking to make this fall your most impactful season yet. Inquire more about these deals in our preferred lineup at huddle.com slash football and learn how you can earn $5,000 of live streaming revenue this year by visiting huddle.com slash every play. That's huddle.com slash every play. When you talk about the Mecca in Southern California, it means only one thing, the Long Beach Poly. One of the nation's richest high school football traditions with one of the most storied alumni traditions rivaled by only a few programs in the United States. And that's where this conversation with the NFL's Roman Oban starts. There's lessons from every part of William McGinnis' journey to take from. Whether it's playing for some of the greatest coaches in the game's history, like Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, or Bill Parcells, or the way he had to reinvent himself over and over again at every stage of his career. Here's Willie. Ah, these next two speakers. I can't help but grin because these are two of the best guys you're going to meet. Enjoy their time, okay? And their names absolutely should ring a bell. They both achieved at the highest levels of the NFL, and they've got the jewelry to show for it. One played a pivotal role in the trenches on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' first Super Bowl-winning squad, and he is now the NFL's Vice President of Football Development. The other, well, he's a colleague of mine. Before that, he was the heart and soul of the defense that defined the early years of the Brady-Belichick dynasty in New England, winning three Super Bowls and going to two Pro Bowls, in addition to holding the sack record in the playoffs to this day. He is now a familiar face on NFL Network. Please welcome Roman Oban and Willie McGinnis. All right, thank you, CD. Um, Roman Oban here. We're gonna have a chat with uh, two legends. Uh, I want to introduce Willie McGinnis. Um, most of you know who he is, or you should know who he is. But a lot of accomplishments. We're gonna talk about a lot of different things. And so, Willie, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's good to be here, and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah. So, Huddle Blitz. I mean, have access to about ten thousand or so high school coaches that are gonna be able to view this and continue to go back and, and look at this. And I know I want to talk about a lot of things, you know, obviously football, your upbringing, um, the football experience you had, uh, your outlook on today's game and some of those things and, and what you're doing now. Um, so let's just talk, first of all, about your high school. Uh, you went to the Long Beach Poly, a very <laughs> successful program. I know that um, before everyone started, you know, transferring IMG, uh, Long Beach Poly was, was was one of the more successful uh, high schools uh, in the country in terms of producing NFL talent and, and very right. successful. Um, talk about your high school experience, you know, growing up in Long Beach, you know, mid late eighties or so, and, and and your high school experience. Talk about that a little bit. The Mecca, Long Beach Poly is the Mecca, man. Um, and, you know, coming from a diverse um, city, and going to Long Beach Poly and understanding that that's where all the competition was going to be and wanting to be 
competitive, you know, as a young kid growing up and always wanted to be around the best. Cause they, you know, you know, the old saying, Roman, like to be the best, you gotta, you gotta beat the best and compete with the best. So there was no, no doubt in my mind, I was going to Long Beach Poly High School. Um, but at, you know, going there and, and playing three sports, actually, you know, I played baseball was my, actually my first sport and then basketball and football, um, being the multi um, sport player, um, I was, I stayed busy. I didn't have any summers off, you know? And I think sports was largely a huge part of why, you know, I stayed on the right track and didn't get into severe trouble and made better decisions. And uh, it, it helped shape my life with the coaches, the mentors and all the people that, that I, I encountered while playing all those different sports. Yeah, let me stay there for a second because you talked about the value of playing multiple sports. Um, mm -hmm. I know kids train now all year long <laughs> and it's a different model altogether, but do you think there's still value in doing, and I know it's hard because basketball, they're already playing in the summer and then you right. really miss stress, but you think there's still value in playing multiple sports for an athlete? Absolutely. I think if, if you're a multi-sport player, it's to your advantage. The, I, I think like part of growing up and being a kid is doing everything, you know? It's not a job at that point. It's not a job. Um, you're supposed to have fun. If you're good at soccer, if you're good at football, if you're good at basketball, why not do it? And yeah, I was coming in late, you know, from basketball, you know, or, or how they overlap, but it was okay. You know, um, we had an opportunity. We won a CIF and we had a really good team in basketball. And I stopped playing baseball because it got a little too slow for me, a little too boring. Um, but I think the kids that play multiple sports have an advantage um, far as mindset, far as athleticism, far as, you know, how they look at different things, how they're able to transition into one and the other. I just think if you if you're good enough to do it, I think you definitely should. Yeah, because I know there's a stat that people use uh, a lot that X amount of NFL players play multiple sports and, and yeah. obviously you look at the size size and speed ratio of the guys coming out of the combine last week or so, you figure if you're good at football, you're most likely good at, at everything. Um, right. You know, in my perspective, by the time I got to the league, every lineman was a 58, 60-foot shot putter. They were 4A wrestling champion. Like, every receiver in DB ran a 10-9, in high school. And, and, you know, so you see a, that, that's how much athletic ability right. gets into an NFL locker room. Um, so it's good to, to see that perspective. Uh, and there still are kids that maybe play for, I, I would say, not your, your lesser nationally renowned programs um, that can play all their sports because they're not getting pulled from the AAU coach or getting pulled from one coach to say, you got to do this 10 months out of the year. So hopefully we'll, we can get back to a, the multi-sport athlete becomes the thing. And that um, almost happened to me my, 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 my sophomore year, like in high school, the, at the time, the head varsity coach told me he didn't want me playing football. Mm. <laughs> now, football was also my bread and butter in my life. I love football. I was playing football since I was six, seven. And, you know, when I told one of my football coaches that Don Norford, who was actually one of the NFL coaches of the year, he started laughing. He's like, is he crazy? And he actually moved me down to JV. I was starting varsity. He moved me down to JV for a week or so. Oh, and wow. then when I when he saw that I wasn't going to switch up and I was going to continue to play football, he moved me back up as a starter on varsity. 
Um, but I just think if you have that talent and that ability, you should extend across all boards of sports. I don't think you should play football year round. Football is a physical sport. Not, it, it takes some toll on your body, but not only that, mentally. And I think when a kid has a break or can go into another sport, um, you get excited about getting back into it. You know, I can't speak for everybody, but you get excited at getting back into it. I just don't think, you know, you should always be in shape and train and do all those things, but yeah. I just don't think kids should be playing. If you're putting everything into it the way you're supposed to be, you know, football year round. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm always, um, you know, as a, and we're both parents, you know, sometimes you're always making the opposite decision of what everyone else is doing. Right. So that, that extra camp, that extra clinic or that burnout say, Hey, look, this summer we're going to go on vacation. We're just going to hang out. We're not going to do any more camps and clinics. Um, there's a time for everything. And, and I think to some degree, parents almost bought into the 10,000 hour rule. Like it's got to start in second grade with the same sport. <laughs> and then you're more likely to get a scholarship. It seems like, um, let me ask you about, so now transitioning, going to SC, um, I mean, at every team I've been on, there was probably three or four guys from SC. And so <clears throat> I know there's been a changing of the guard with all the colleges that have been successful because they're getting all the LA kids and the SoCal kids. Um, what was your transition to, to high school? Um, and I was going to ask you, I've heard the biggest transition is high school to college, not so much college to pro, but like, what was your transition like to SC and that experience uh, for well, you? Well, it was, it was huge. I mean, I walked, into a locker room and I saw guys like Junior Seau. I mean, this dude looked like the Incredible Hawk when I walked in. And, and, and some of these other players, you know, that were that were getting ready to go pro and that played at a high level. So it just seemed like now you're taking a huge step from, you know, being against young men to like grown men. It's grown men in the locker room, the speed of the game, the physicality of the game. Um, just now you're gonna have a little bit more with your education. Now you gotta make sure you maintain you know, your books and doing all that. And I think the biggest thing that kids kind of hit them hard is the freedom you have. You don't have somebody getting you up every day. You don't have somebody telling you, you got to go to class or making sure you get your meal or hitting the alarm clock for you or shaking the cover saying, hey, you got to get ready to go to class. You don't have any of that. It's you're, you're independent. So you got to be more accountable. You got to be a lot more responsible. And now you start to feel you know, that kind of going into that, that adulthood, like, because now everything falls on you. Yeah. If, if you don't, if you're not responsible for being where you need to be, then you're going to pay for it, you know? So you got obligations, you got responsibilities that you got to be on point. You got to have your schedule. You got to know what's going on. You don't always, you know, you don't have mom and dad there holding your hand anymore, making sure that everything is set up. And I have three daughters that play sports now, one going to actually SC next year to play okay. college volleyball. And I'm telling her, you know, um, some of the resources and advantages you have while you're in the house, you're not gonna have that. Like you've gotta be responsible. You gotta understand like you're in control of you. And I think that was the biggest transition now being on your own, paying bills, doing all those things that you've seen your parents do for so many years. Yeah, because I, I wanted to ask you, too, about that. Um, when that transition, I mean, you're from the L.A. area um, and you went to SC, but when you did you see any kids that came from, let's say, your smaller towns or, or more rural areas? Oh, yeah. And almost would get overwhelmed. I mean, all the things that you, uh, a school like SC would sell, I would imagine the same with Miami being in Miami or some of the, you know, not a lot of major cities have 
major FBS programs. Um, right. Did you see some kids that maybe struggled a little bit to just deal with all those complexities of being in a big program in, a, in you know, one of the largest cities in the world? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of things that you got to deal with outside of just, you know, going to school and playing football. You know, if you're in a major city like L.A., then there's things that come with L.A., you know, that you're going to want to do is entertainment. You know, there's other sports. There's a lot going on outside. It's your social life, you know, and, and, and I think as, you know, as young men and women, you want to have a social life. So in uh, one of the biggest cities with so much going on, you can't get overwhelmed or caught up in that entertainment in Hollywood and, you know, the clubs and all the other extracurricular things that are happening, that they are fun, they constantly go on, um, but they pull you away from your main objective, you know? Yeah. So you gotta do that in doses and you gotta be smart about it. And uh, when you come from a small town and you're not used to seeing certain things or certain people just walk around that you see on TV and all those different things, it, it, it could be, it could be a little overwhelming. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. Um, last question I'll ask about the, the, the college experience and we'll move on. Um, you know, a lot of people would say that college football is better when everyone's good, when SC is good, Miami's good, Texas is good, Nebraska's good, not just your SEC programs or right. the same top level programs that keep ending up in the playoffs, um, top heavy rather, um, and no indictment any of those coaches, and 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 if you're successful, you're successful in any generation. But right. um, what are your thoughts on you know you know the new direction and, and where SC is going, and 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 can USC you know take back Cal Southern California again? Um, I don't I don't I don't just see it as us taking back Southern California. I see us taking back college football. I mean that's always been a mentality for me. I'm not content with winning the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 South or any of that. I just think that's something you grab along the way to the playoffs and the national championship. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to be a Trojan, you know, the history, the, you know, the, 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 the family part of it, it felt like it was family versus just going to school and playing. Once you're Trojan, you're always a Trojan. Even when you graduate and you leave, you're always part of the family and the expectations, <clears throat> the expectations changed you know, over the last, I don't know how many years, we were, you know, we were just okay with just competing for a Pac-12 or this or that. And I wasn't happy with that. I wasn't on board with that. The expectations has always been national championship or being the best. And now that we have new direction and new, a new coaching staff and Lincoln Riley and a new athletic director and everything is new and fresh and we're real, we are uh, rebuilding our program. Uh, you can see the change. You can see the culture shift. You can see the mindset. You can see the expectation get back to where it was, you know, when I was there and how it should be, no matter what, you know, what's going on. And uh, I think as a player coming into that, I watched Mark Carey and all those guys, you know, from my high school go there and be successful and play at a high level and, you know, and win the Rose Bowl and, and, and play for national championships. That's why I went to USC and to get a great education and to be local, have a university like that in my backyard um, <clears throat> so my parents and family can come to games. We didn't grow up with money, so I couldn't, you know, we couldn't fly all over the place to, you know, my parents and family to watch me play. So at least, you know, having my university 30 minutes from where I grew up at um, and having my, you know, my family being able to come down the street and watch me play, that was a huge part of my decision and priceless as well. 
Yeah, no, thanks for that. And I wanted to clarify, I meant when I meant taking back so SoCal in terms of recruiting. Um, yeah. And so now we're at the NFL career. Um, you played for Pete Carroll, Bill Parcells, and Bill Belichick, obviously. Yeah. Um, talk about that first part of your career, your first five years or so, and then kind of what you learned from from all those coaches in terms of learning something differently and what added to your game, whether it's a mental approach, how to play a certain scheme, or what have you. I think what well, Bill Parcells drafted me. So if you know anything about Bill Parcells, he's raw, he's uncut, he's direct. You know, he's from the New York area. So he's he's a real guy and yeah. uh, he shoots you straight. And that's what I loved about him. He was like a father figure and he reminded me of the coaches that I came from. But the one thing that he instilled in me and you got from him and our team pretty much mirrored him was tough. You know, tough mentally, you know, tough physically, uh, play a certain style, have that grit, that work ethic, um, understanding that you got to work. There's like you cannot cheat the process, no matter no matter how good you are, you cannot cheat the process. You got to work and put in the work to see the results. And, you know, my first couple of years, man, it was some of the toughest camps I've ever been in. but by the end of the season, it paid off, you know? And then I transitioned into Pete Carroll who had a different coaching style. He was more of a energetic rah-rah type of guy, but he also come from a winning background, you know, um, in San Francisco. So he won, but he just did it a different way. So I think as a mature player, you have to understand um, all coaches styles and everything is different. You gotta be mature enough to adapt to that coach and receive the message, not how it's being sent, but the actual message that's being sent. And I thought Pete was a a really good coach in the NFL. I just think he inherited a team that Parcells had built that was on a different wavelength, different mentality. So when he came in with his style, it didn't match. And guys really didn't buy in. And then, of course, um, Bill Belichick, you know, um, you talk about details, you talk about preparation, you're talking about having a blueprint team over individualism, holding everybody accountable, regardless of your status or how much you make, whatever the case may be, and being able to evaluate talent, get guys, put them in a certain situation and allow them to play to their strengths and recognize their weaknesses and don't. Don't don't put him in those situations. It just seemed like Belichick was a was a combination of of, of every of all those coaches, and then you take it to another level. Um, also, really wanted smart guys. Wanted you to be smart. Most of the guys that we played with that was on those teams were college graduates, had their degrees. Wanted mm-hmm. you to be smart. <clears throat> wanted you to be physical and play a certain style, and. You know, when I say team over individualism, under understanding that your job description is going to change week to week, depending on who we're playing against, because that's what's better for the team. So I was fortunate, Roman, to have, you know, those three coaches and also Romeo Cannell, who came from, you know, Parcells and Cleveland, all those coaches with all those with that wealth of information and who taught me how to be a real pro who taught me how to work, who taught me that 
we're playing a team sport team. You know, when the team wins, all the individuals get credit. And how to be accountable and that you, you can't, and I'm saying this again, you can't cheat the process. It's only one way to play at a certain level and be consistently good yep. in this league. And I learned that from all those coaches. So I was lucky. No, that's great feedback. Um, and, and I, you know, Romeo, uh, Coach Cornell was uh, the D coordinator my first year. I was in Cleveland in 2000, 2001 with Chris Palmer staff. He was in yeah. Cleveland, D coordinator. And I remember he tried to get the pieces in place to run what you guys did in New England. And so it begs the question, is it taking the players, teaching them a system or acquiring certain things of them? Or is it getting guys that fit the scheme because of what maybe what they did in college? And and so I think in, if he had three, four years, he would have built a great defense. Like, you know, obviously he left, ended up in New England, and you guys had great success there. So discipline versus getting the right people that fit the scheme. Because Pittsburgh linebackers have a different way of doing things. Like the Green Bay was successful. I'm an old lineman. At some point, Kansas City had – you could plug in anybody, and everybody's getting 1,000 yards. The Broncos O-line. I mean, so – right. So what's your perspective? Is it scheme, discipline within the scheme or getting the players that fit that and then teaching them the, the right the right rules? I think it's a combination of, of all that. You know, um, when Belichick took over, he, he identified a, a group of guys that were already on the team that he mm -hmm. knew fit the scheme and had the mentality and the character that he wanted to go far. Like whether it's Brewski, Ty Law, myself, you know, um, Laurie Malloy, Troy Brown, like I can, you know, he kept a group of guys. Then he cleaned house. If you didn't fit, if you didn't fit that physically and mentally what he wanted, he cleaned house. Then he drafted, he drafted those type of guys. Then in free agency, he went out and got the Mike Vrabels, the Roman Fipers, the Rodney Harrison, yeah. you know, all those type of guys. He went out and plucked guys on other teams that he knew physically could do what we wanted them to do and had a significant role on the team, but also mentally could fit what he was also trying to build. So I don't think there's particularly one way I've seen teams try to build it all through the draft and just build guys exactly how they want to fit a scheme. But I think the great minds in our sport, they understand that a scheme has to be flexible according to your talent, your talent pool. Like if guys can't do certain things, you can't put them in that situation especially if you're going against certain teams and that, and, and that scheme should change weekly because the teams you're playing every week is different. Now you've got all the plays and all the stuff in your book, but how you attack should, should switch up. And I think when you're bringing players in, versatility is so important. Like being able to do multiple things, being able to put you in multiple positions to help the team whether it's a guy like Slater who's on the Patriots, who's been there forever, who's been, I don't know how many Super Bowls, and, you know, he's been a Pro Bowl player for, I don't know, almost a decade. But, you know, he's a receiver, you know? But the special teams, he's like, he can do so many other things. Yeah. You know, you even had Troy Brown play cornerback. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there, there's, there's guys that came in at quarterback that played receiver, you know, like, you know, like Wes, you know, and, and guys like that. So it, you can, you, you, you can, you can identify talent, but you also got to have a plan of how you want to utilize that talent and make sure that those players are comfortable and how you're going to use them.
But I yeah. think the smartest minds, and we talk, you and I talk about this all the time, the smartest minds, they've got to morph a system around the players. Yeah. If you yeah. just don't have all those guys there at one particular time. Yeah. I mean, that's why we've seen this um, sometimes in our business. The hot coordinator leaves the nucleus of something really successful and isn't as successful at the next place because he doesn't have all the same pieces in place. Right. And then you've got to at least give someone four or five years or so. And you don't get this long. <laughs> you don't get that long in the league. Nobody's pacing anymore. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, you know, the position that you play um, has evolved. And and I came in two years after you. So, you know, my I blocked Jason Taylor and Dwight Freeney, Simeon Rice. And 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 then those, the older guys were getting up there. Bruce Smith was getting up there. And, and right. Leslie O'Neill was uh, down the stretch. And then I saw the young guys come in afterwards. So, so the side speed started to change. But... The position has also changed. I mean, are there parallels between you at SC having to defend the option versus now what's an RPO um, where you're not just flying to the field, you're flying up with kind of a controlled discipline uh, thing. Talk about how the position has evolved. That edge is not, there's no DNs anymore. It's just called the edge now or some edge of those. Things. Or outside linebacker or hybrid. Yeah. Um, when I came out, I was an elephant. So my position was kind of, formed off of like Charles Haley and some of the guys that did it um, combination of like what Lawrence Taylor did as a linebacker, but also on third down Charles, you know, Charles, you know, being a defensive end and, and your weight and height also determines kind of what you can do, how comfortable you are in space. All those guys you named are there. None of them was comfortable in space. So I would never drop Simeon Rice, Jason Taylor. They tried with Jason Taylor to stand him up. Yeah. It was the worst thing they did and <laughs> yeah. drop them out. It's it's a waste of talent. None of those guys are good. Even Jadavion Clowney, they tried it with him, right? He's athletic. He's freakish. He's fast. Let's use him as a linebacker. Doesn't work. So I think what made our our team or my position special, even Mike Vrabel, 6'5", <clears throat> 250 and up. I played at, you know, 260 linebacker outside. So on third down, my hand was in the dirt. I was a defensive end. Or if we played our 43 package, I morphed into a defensive end. And I could play over a tight end. I could play a six technique inside a tight end. Uh, never really wanted to go way inside to take on those double teams. That didn't mesh well with what we were trying to do. So I was always either head up, outside, nine technique. But when we played regular defense, I was a true outside linebacker. So what you gave us on the offensive side of the ball uh, mm -hmm. formation-wise dictated if I was in coverage or if I was rushing a passer. You know, if we were in cover two and receiver strength was to me, I was in coverage. You know, if it was away, I was rushing, running games with the defensive end, talking to him. Cover three, same thing. If I'm on the weak side, I'm dropping. If I'm on the strength, I'm coming. And whatever other packages we picked, you know, we, we put in designed specifically about who we were playing against. So the versatility is different because I was able to play the run and control the trenches mm -hmm. and I was good at it, setting the edge. Well, some of these fast hybrid linebackers now, they're not really good at the point of attack. They're not really good at playing the run, sitting in there with a tackle, a guy like you. If I'm in a five technique and I'm over you and you're running the ball at me, I gotta, I gotta jam you, get into you and hold you off and set the edge. A lot of these guys are not used to doing that. They get yeah. engulfed. You know, it's not too much, whether you're off the ball or on the ball. So 
I, I think there's some guys out like that, but you got to be, you got to, you got to have the entire package to be able to withstand, you know, to do everything, to rush, to drop in the coverage and to yeah. play to run physically. I think it's tough. And now what these offenses are doing, they're creating these mismatches through formations, through personnel to get you uh, mismatched against their fast, quick guys. These tight ends look like receivers. Yeah. These backs are quick out of the backfield. You know, we had to defend all that, not only physically, but through scheme. So it takes a lot. You know, you got to really identify the guys you got to see if they can handle that. And I've watched Belichick's system change over the years from what me and Vrabel was doing um, to going into what Chandler Jones, when he had him, was doing. He wasn't a good guy to drop back in space or whatever. He was a beast at just going to get the quarterback playing true DN. So the system changed. They went to more of a 40 front, a 4-3 package. You know what I mean? And then yeah. if you get Vince Woolfork and you get a couple other DNs and you get some outside guys, now you can go back to a 3-4 where guys can take on the double teams inside because you got, you know, whatever. We had Richard Seymour, Ty Warren, Vince Woolfork. We could play a true 3-4. Teddy Bruschi standing up, Ted Johnson, Roman Pfeiffer. You know, we can uncover the guards that come up and play physical football like that because our team was dominated, you know, with we had talented linebackers and defensive ends. So we can go in and out of systems. I just don't think it's just hard now to have that much versatility in all those different positions. Do you think the I mean, and I know you, you're an indie and, and you do a lot of great coverage for, for NFL Network. Um, do you think just looking back at it, we, we fall in love with the measurables too much? Or with because what? I'm it's sorry, with what with what too much? The measurables. Oh this guy can run, this guy's a freak. And this you know, do we fall in love with that too much? And and or because it's this time of year, it's time to talk about the 40, obviously, first and the testing because you can't play football yet. Where what's your position on how certain positions are evaluated now versus the core football football? Because I'm seeing a lot more guys that run better than they played. Right. On, on Saturday. There you go. There you yeah. go. And and you know. We used to have those weight room warriors, right? Guys in the weight room can lift all the weight and do everything, and then they get out on the football field, and they couldn't bust a grade. So yeah. I think, um, you know, when you're looking for measurables and times and all those different things, you're pretty much just stamping what you already know about this player and to see how they're going to improve and how they're going to test mentally, how they're going to push themselves to do other things outside of what they did on the football field. The true test is the football field. If you're a football player, you're a football player. If you got game speed, which is different than running in a straight line in the 40, right? Getting off a block and running something down. If you got a motor, if you don't quit, like those things can't be really measured in a test. You can measure those on the football field going against another man, imposing your will against another man and dominating. So it starts with me right there. What kind of player are you? What kind of mentality do you have? You know, are you the enforcer? Are you guys giving it? Are you the guy giving it or taking it? Like, I'm, I'm interested in that. And then when you go to the next level where it's time to test and do all those different things, okay, do you want to compete in those fields as well? Like, can you prepare yourself for these obstacles that you got to do that has nothing to do with tackling and, and everything else at that time, but they play, a, they play a major role in it. But these are what they want to see. Can you go in and test well? There's a lot of guys that didn't test well that are Hall of Famers. 
Right. That Absolutely. Super Bowl champions, guys that's won all pro, pro bowls, whatever you can call it. There's a lot of guys that test really well, that play really well. So I just think you get a mix of you get a mix of both, you know. Yeah, and and obviously you're a guy that had a lot of high productivity, especially in January when it counts the most. Um, when you, when you talk about playing the position at a high level, uh, you know, and, and one of the things I have just a few more more questions. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is is one of the things that I I think makes you the most valuable is just your ability to reach back the things you you do for your community, um, your Long Beach community. Um, you know, we met on this side of life when you were coaching. You actually coached my son in, in uh, mm -hmm. at the Nike opening and, and some of those camps. And, and just talk about like what's important to you in terms of giving back to the younger players of tomorrow and, and people that are going to have to continue to carry the torch, whether they make it to the NFL or not. But just talk about just your outlook on, on kind of like mentoring and you know younger kids, high school uh, football players, et cetera. I think it's motivating for kids to see another another person who comes from where they come from come back and who's made it, who's had success, come back from where they've come from and give them that knowledge and to teach them the proper way to play the game, right? There's a proper way to play the game. It's technique, it's it's, it's fundamentals, it's mental. It's it, it, it's sometimes we make it too hard. Like sometimes coaches make the game a little too hard than what it has to be. And I just love coming back and giving that knowledge and evaluating and watching players and see their upside and their potential and see what they're doing and see what they do really well and then see how they can add and do little things to tweak their game and get better, you know, because it's levels. It starts in high school, goes to college, and then you got to keep getting better. You got to keep adding to your arsenal as you get into the NFL. Right. And, you know, I played 15 years, but I can honestly say I was I was still learning the game of football in my 15th season before I retired. So you got to constantly be a student of the game. You got to constantly see what people are doing. You can take ideas, take techniques, take whatever, talk to people, constantly learn the game and get better. So I try to instill that in the young players and tell them that you don't have a ceiling. You're never going to be as good as you think you're going to be. So keep pushing yourself. And the greatest example is that is Tom Brady, a guy who came in, Six, you know, six round draft pick. And if you look at Tom, when he what he did at the combine his first season to how he looks now, yeah. he just constantly got better, got stronger, got better, got faster, threw the ball better, arm strength, whatever you can think of. I mean, the man won a Super Bowl at 44. So that's just telling you if you put in the work and if you continue to to to, to not be content of whatever past accomplishments you've had and keep keep trying to find ways to reinvent yourself and get better that you can continue to do it. Right. You know, I, I extended my career because of, I had that same mindset and that same work ethic and telling these players that is gold, because if you've done it, first of all, they'll listen to you, you know, and then, you know, hopefully you'll hit something and you'll trigger them and they'll take that and they'll run with it and they'll come back and deliver the same messages one day. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And and I know one thing, you know, RJ uh, will appreciate it. He led the, he led Duke with sacks this year. I think second ACC in forced fumbles, you know, learning about his body. Um, and, but remember and, how he started at the Nike camp? Like he was yeah. still learning the game. Yeah, yeah, it was he 15. Was still learning he the game. We were, yeah, we were doing one-on-ones and I was like, hey, you got long arms, you long, why you keep running? Like just little things. And he was like, yeah. oh, you're right. Like these kids, you know, you guys got to turn on the light. Once you turn on the light, they go from there. 
Yeah, no, and I, and I appreciate that. And you do a lot with the Legends Youth Advisory Committee at the NFL, and, and you're a constant, you know, server of the game. And, you know, and I always say that we're 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 serving a game that gave me more, that gave us more than we could ever give back, whether it was a college degree, right. financial freedom for your family, and then if you're still you're still able to be productive and still be a teammate on this side of life. So I just wanted to just thank you, thank you for that, and thank you for everything you've done. And everything you continue to do. Um, and if you have one, if you have one thing to say to any high school coach that's watching in terms of their approach or anything or any advice you've given, what what's what one thing would you say? Well, first I want to say thank you as well. You've been a great ambassador of the game and staying connected and all you do for the league and the NFL and 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 growing the game, keeping the game getting better. Um, you've been a big part of that and a big inspiration. And if I had a message to a, a high school coach. I would just say, keep keep feeding and growing these kids and giving them the knowledge, like make it always make it about the kids and how you can help the stuff. You know, I remember my high school coach. I remember my youth coaches and that stuff is is forever lasting impression they have on us. So um, try and teach and understand and put them in position to be prepared for what's coming next, you know, and regardless of, you know, I know it's about winning you know, winning football games and winning and losing, and, and, and that really counts. But you will have a, a forever lasting impression on these kids if they can walk away from their high school experience and learn something and have a great experience and really love the game and want to and have that hunger to even want more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much again, and uh, best of luck. Have a productive offseason, and uh, we'll see you on the tube. Thanks, Roman. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Blitzcast. For more episodes, be sure to check us out on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more Blitz content, be sure to check out huddle.com slash blitz. See ya.